everybody. Um, if I could interrupt your fellowship. Can uh, find our way back to our seats. All right. Um, when you found your way back to your seat, if you would take out your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Book of Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Um, if you're using one of the church Bibles, which is awesome, that is page 1086. So Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And when you have found that spot, if you would stand with me um, for the reading of God's word this morning. So this morning, we are looking at the story of Stephen, almost two entire chapters, but we're not going to read the whole thing. So just so you know, or else we'd be here till like 1.30. So we're not going to do that. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Scott. I get to be uh, one of the pastors here. As I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of the missions guy. So um, that's kind of what everything I talk about has to do with in some way or another, including this morning. Um, and we are continuing in our sermon series in the book of Acts, looking at the church as the compelling community and what that looks like in the first eight chapters of Acts. So uh, with that said, we're going to read uh, verses 8 through 15, and then we're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 7. So just hang with me here, and uh, let's read God's word to us this morning. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then turn with me over to verse 23 of chapter 7. When he, speaking of Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And then finally, look over at verse 51 of chapter 7. Stephen now talking to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. My friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please take your seat, keep your Bible open, and let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Father, we thank you for 
uh, giving us your word, the scriptures, Lord. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would take your word, Lord, and apply it to the hearts of each one of us this morning, God, um, that we would see your will for us, see your work in us, and Lord, know how you would have us live in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, my friends, as you've probably surmised by now, we are looking this morning at the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen, the church's first sort of well-known deacon, also the church's first martyr, very well-known guy in church history. And we're looking at the church in this series we're doing uh, this morning, the church as the witnessing community. Now, it's interesting, just for a little bit of context briefly here, uh, when you read the story of Stephen, Luke was a brilliant, brilliant writer of scripture. The way that he presents Stephen is pretty amazing. Uh, And so what Luke does is he presents the story of Stephen here as kind of a parallel to the story almost of Jesus. And what I mean by that is that Luke presents Stephen here as empowered by the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit like Jesus was. And that Stephen speaks with wisdom that cannot be refuted like Jesus did. And then Stephen was falsely accused on trumped up charges brought before an unjust trial. Just starting to sound familiar? Just like Jesus was. Stephen preaches the Old Testament. That's what his whole sermon is about in chapter 7. He preaches the Old Testament in the same way that Jesus preached. And then finally, uh, Luke shows us, and we'll see this in a few minutes, Stephen suffers and dies in a way similar to Jesus in the sense that like Jesus, Stephen was taken outside of the city of Jerusalem and put to death unjustly by wicked men. And so Luke is trying to show us here that Stephen uh, is not like Jesus, but he's trying to present the story of Stephen and the story of the church's opposition in light of the opposition that Jesus faced. And so whatever that means, we'll get into that today. But I just want to give you a little bit of context. Okay, so with that in your minds, with that cheery introduction to this sermon in your minds, um, I want to ask you all a question because I used to be a teacher, so I always have to give you a pop quiz when I'm up here. You'll catch on eventually, don't worry. Uh, But it's not a hard question, and I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud. But I just want you to think about this for a second when I ask you, okay? And the question is this. And I promise this relates to what we're talking about today. What is the best vacation you've ever taken in your life? Hmm, yeah. Best vacation you've ever taken in your life. Okay, think about that for a second. Hold it in your mind. Um, After all, I mean, look outside. It is summer. It's the season, the time to go on vacation. And I want to show you this image here. This is on the Mediterranean, And this is a coastal town called Ibiza, and it's in Spain. So, is this beautiful, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. I've not been there. Um, This is a stock picture from the internet, just full disclosure. Uh, You know, (laughs) I didn't take this. Um, I am talking, though, uh, Dave Fennell is here and a couple of our other elders trying to get the session to, you know, let the staff do a next staff retreat here. So, Dave, we'll talk after church. So, yeah. Uh, right after I told you we're using money to give to missions and the gospel. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, but this is a great place, I, obviously, just by looking at it. Um, how many of you in the room have been to the Mediterranean at some point in your life? I'm just curious. Yeah? 
Very cool. Awesome. So quite a few of you. Um, so yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And I'm sure the water is a bit warmer than we're used to in Brookings, uh, I would guess, you know, <laughs> on the Oregon coast. And it's interesting, you know, because in scripture, Paul tells us that God gives us all things richly to enjoy, that, you know, all of creation speaks of God's glory and, and all of it is meant for our enjoyment, okay? And so this is, wow, pretty awesome, okay? Beautiful beach on the Mediterranean. Now, in just a moment, I wanna show you another image. This one also uh, from a beautiful beach on the Mediterranean. And this one comes from a country in Northern Africa called Libya, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Uh, and it's, again, it sits right on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful country. Um, but this next image is a little different. It's a little uncomfortable. It can be upsetting, um, but in its own way, and we're gonna see how, in its own way, it's actually also beautiful. So let's put that image up there. Anyone remember this image? Yeah? You guys have seen this picture before? So that is also a beach on the Mediterranean Sea in Libya, in a little town called Sirta in Libya. And if you recognize this picture, or if you don't, uh, this is from February of 2015, when uh, 21 Christians uh, were, had been kidnapped. They were construction workers. Uh, they had been kidnapped from their construction site in Egypt uh, by ISIS, that terrorist group, and they were held captive for a few months. And then in February of 2015, uh, they were taken in this very infamous video, they were taken to the beach, um, and basically they were asked if they were Christians, and uh, 20 of them said, yes, we are Christians. They were already Christians before. One of the men actually who was kidnapped was not a Christian when he got kidnapped, and he's on the beach seeing these guys say, yes, I'm willing to die for Jesus. And he says, okay, well, then I'm a Christian too. Their God is my God now. And he got, he got killed as well. So all 21 of these guys testified of their faith in Jesus. And then they were beheaded right there on the beach. Um, and if you remember, this sparked international outrage and horror. People were like, what in the world is happening here? Okay, so when you see this image, what... What, comes, what emotions come up, right? What, you feel sad, angry, you know, maybe sad for the guys committing the, the crime. You know, that's a good response as well. Um, like you wanna go to war, that kind of thing. Well, that's all normal. All those emotions, right? We're humans, we see this and this is uncomfortable and upsetting to us, right? And we live in a world where this kind of thing, unfortunately, is not uncommon, a couple months ago when we were preaching through Philippians, I told you that more Christians were killed last year than any other year in recorded history, right? And it's interesting because we're seeing persecution of the church continuing to grow and rise and get more and more prevalent while at the same time, we're seeing more and more people come to Jesus around the world than ever before as well. And I want you to keep that tension, that dichotomy in your mind today as we, as we look at this passage. It's really, really amazing. We live in a beautiful world with beaches like in Spain, and we also live in a world where this kind of stuff happens. It's a world full of God's goodness and also a world that has a lot of darkness and evil in it. And yet in the midst of this reality, you and I are called to be the witnessing community. That's who we are as the church. 
right? And so as we, as we get into the story of Stephen here, I want you to think about that image we just saw and how would you respond if that was you in one of those orange jumpsuits, right? I think about that. Man, in the moment, would I have the guts to, to say, yep, I belong to Jesus, knowing what's coming. I hope I would. I think I would. I hope I would. But that would be the spirit at work. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Imagine, I think even worse, if that was your son or grandson in one of those orange jumpsuits. I'd have thought about that, what that must have been like. Um, and we're gonna touch on that in a powerful way towards the end today. But my friends, when we look at the story of Stephen, Stephen was someone's son and he was someone's grandson as well. And how did Stephen respond to what happened to him? Well, we'll see that. We'll get to that. And I think if we're being honest, at least for me, I can be honest with you all, um, this kind of tension is uncomfortable. It's hard to live in this, right? Because when we look at Stephen in the scriptures, when we look at those 21 brothers there on the beach in Libya, we see the ways that God used them. We see the ways that God worked through them and God was clearly with them and his hand was clearly upon them using their lives in mighty, mighty ways. And yet God didn't keep them from being persecuted and God didn't keep them from being killed in really ghastly ways. And again, this is, this is thick and this is tough, but right, these are just tensions and realities that we, that we live in as Christians, right? And so all of that can then bring up this question, well, what might happen to me if, if I obey what God wants me to do, right? We live in a world, a dark world that is, you know, has a very active spiritual realm that is very hostile to Christ and to the gospel. And if we're Christians, followers of Jesus, we're in that war, we're in that battle on those lines. And what might that mean for me or for you? What, that can be hard, that can be uncomfortable, right? And this is not a whole sermon on martyrdom. I don't want this whole thing to be a big downer, um, but I do want us to understand that that backdrop is there as we look at this passage of Stephen this morning. But I also want us to imagine what could be, what could God do? What is God doing? And how could he continue to use us and work through us? <clears throat> so what does it look like then from the scriptures for us as the church to be the witnessing community? What does this look like? Let's find out together. Let's find out together. So as we look at the book of Acts, um, Luke is telling us how the early church began to fulfill the great commission to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what's happening in the whole book of Acts. That's why Acts exists. Luke wanted us to know the church fulfilling the great commission. Okay, so with that said, let's get back into the text here and let's look at this story of Stephen, kind of with the context that we just saw with that backdrop. So look with me again uh, at verse, verse eight here in Acts chapter six. We're gonna read a few verses here about Stephen again now that we've seen that. So Luke says in, in verse eight, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then down to verse th 13. So here's what they did. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place 
and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Right? So Stephen, he is empowered by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, as Pastor Dustin showed us last week. And he's going out in Jerusalem and he's preaching the gospel and miracles are happening and people are coming to Christ. And then what happens? He gets rounded up, dragged before a trial and falsely accused, right? This, this is what's happening. As the church is growing, persecution is arising, and Stephen, again, he's, he's one of the original deacons, the first martyr of the church, uh, used in a powerful way and used to a degree in God's kingdom that most of us will probably never experience in our lives. But my friends, I want to encourage you this morning, and I want you to see that that does not in any way diminish the fact that Stephen was just like you and me. He was a sinful man saved by God's grace in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've come to Christ, if you've come to Jesus and you've trusted him, you too are a sinful man or woman saved by God's grace in Christ and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is God's word. That is God's word to us. And so while we may never live a life of such notoriety in a good way as Stephen, every single one of us are called by God to be empowered by the Spirit, to live a life like Stephen and ultimately like Jesus, a life of other-centered love and of holiness that exalts Jesus in the midst of a dark world. So from the story of Stephen, then what do we see here? What, what is the point here of these first few verses about Stephen's life? We see that every single Christian, every one of us is anointed by the Spirit with wisdom and power to live lives on mission for the kingdom, live lives of fruitfulness for God's kingdom bringing people to his son. That's what we see here. That's what Luke, I think, wants us to understand, what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand this morning. Every single one of us are empowered by the Spirit to live on mission in God's will. And as a church family, we just saw this and celebrated this last week, didn't we? You recognize this picture? It's only a week old. We sent 48 of our youth and then 14 of us adults down to Mexico. That's 62 of us from Southern Oregon, went down to Mexico and uh, got to spend a week uh, helping and serving families. And if you know anything about Mexico, I love Mexico. I've been there many times. I've lived there. Um, it's a beautiful country and the people are just amazing. They're so beautiful. Uh, but Mexico is a country that has been torn apart by, by darkness. Um, there's poverty, there's corruption, cartel violence and the drug trade, gangs, human trafficking, all these things. Um, it's a difficult place to be. And yet in the midst of that, look what God did. From our church here in Southern Oregon, we got to build three, as I call them, beacons of hope. There are three houses in, in Mexico for Christian families in need. Right? This is what it looks like uh, to be on mission, to be doing God's will in this world that has been so affected by sin and darkness. Right? And, and we bring God our five loaves and our two fish and we say, here you go, Lord. And he multiplies them. He multiplies them. It's amazing. He does what is impossible. And I can prove that to you because we built three houses in four days. Um, and I was on the team and I am not a construction guy. So it's proof positive of God's work in this world, right? And so we, we see examples then of, of believers anointed by the spirit. And we see that in the story of Stephen here. Stephen anointed by the spirit. Okay, so as Luke moves on then, 
and we get into chapter seven, kind of the, the meat and the bulk of, of our sermon today, Stephen, chapter seven, just preaches this incredible sermon to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council of leaders there in Jerusalem. And so I want to look at this quickly um, and just see here what the Lord might have for us. So in Acts chapter seven, uh, I would encourage you this week to read through that chapter. It's 60 verses. It's a little bit of a longer chapter. Like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, uh, but it's an incredible sermon. And just so you know, what Stephen is doing is Stephen is standing before the, the Jewish council, the leaders there, and he's retelling to them the history of Israel, starting with Abraham and all the way up to his present day with Jesus. And it's absolutely amazing. And so what Stephen does is he starts, and I want to look here at verses two through four real quick. I just want to read those to you. In verse two, Stephen says, brothers and fathers, hear me. This is the beginning of his sermon. And remember, he's on trial here, potentially for his life. And this is how he begins. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. It's an interesting way to start your defense if you're on trial for your life. Hey, you're blaspheming God and telling us that the temple will be destroyed. What do you have to say for yourself? Remember Abraham? That's, his, that's how he starts his defense. It's interesting. Why does he do that? Well, I think the reason he does this, and I think what Luke wants us to see Uh, The reason that Stephen starts with Abraham is because Abraham, the story of Abraham is the foundation for missions in the Bible. Genesis 12, it's the foundation for missions in the Bible. Because God gives Abraham a promise in Genesis 12. And he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, right? And all families of the earth will what? Will be blessed through you. So the promise of God to Abraham is that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through Abraham and through his seed. And what does Paul tell us in the book of Galatians? That Abraham's seed is singular. It's one person. It's Jesus. So the promise in Genesis 12 to Abraham ultimately is the gospel. That one day God himself is going to come from Abraham's lineage and bring salvation and blessing to the entire world. That's the promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. It's the foundation for missions. It's the reason why we as the church do missions, right? And so Stephen starts there, brilliant. He starts there because they're asking him, what are you doing? Why are you telling all these people about Jesus? Well, this is the fulfillment of the Abraham story all the way back in Genesis and then he keeps going. He, he transitions from Abraham, and now he's talking about Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph and the many-colored coat and Joseph's brothers who are jealous, right? And they, they want to kill him, but they decide to throw him into a pit, and he goes to Egypt and delivers God's people, right? So Stephen talks about Joseph, and he, the way that he paints Joseph in this sermon is that Joseph was God's deliverer who was rejected by his brothers. And then... He leaves off Joseph and goes on to Moses. And he spends the majority of his time talking about Moses. And again, the way he presents Moses is that Moses was the deliverer of God's people who came 
And yet the people over and over, what did they do to Moses? They rejected Moses's leadership. They said, get away. We don't want you. We're going back to Egypt. And they rebelled against Moses and against God. Okay, look again at verse 23 of chapter seven. Stephen's talking about Moses. And he says, when he, Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And then he goes on and he talks about the prophets. He talks about King David and King Solomon and all of this. And the entire point of his sermon is that throughout Israel's history, from basically Joseph on, Every time God would send them a deliverer, they would reject that person and turn away. And if you read the book of Judges, you see that on display. They constantly would go astray. God would deliver them. They'd turn away over and over. This was their entire history. And that's Stephen's whole sermon. That's the whole thing. That's his whole point, right? And this, my friends, took incredible boldness. This took an amazing amount of boldness because he knows he's on trial probably for his life. And yet he goes through the history of Israel and he talks to them about how their ancestors, the Israelites, just continually rejected God and rejected God's deliverers and their saviors. That's what it means from Stephen to be a witness. That's what it means to be a witness. Stephen just stood there and boldly testified to the truth of scripture and the truth of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a witness. Just like that picture we saw, is what it looks like to be a bold witness. Just testifying to the truthfulness and the faithfulness of Jesus. So we see the anointing of the spirit on Stephen in a very, very powerful way. Now, as we continue on looking at the narrative here, um, you may be shocked to realize that the things Stephen said upset them. You know, can you imagine, right? Hey, you spiritual leaders of Israel, your ancestors for 2,000 years have been rebellious jerks who've turned against God and killed the people he sent to them. You know, right? <laughs> Not a message that's going to earn you a lot of friends and a lot of fans, right? So let's look at what uh, Luke writes in verse 51. You know, so Stephen ends his sermon. I can just, this is just the way that I picture it in my head. He's just giving this, Here's all the history of Israel. And then he ends his sermon and he's just like, points, right? And this is what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You guys had the law and the prophets, and yet you murdered the Messiah, God's deliverer who was sent to you. Just like your ancestors, you're doing the exact same thing. Because probably about seven weeks before this, Jesus had stood before these people and they condemned him to death. Now, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were super happy and they invited Stephen over for dinner. Is that what it says? Oh, wait, no, no. 
Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Yeah, just grinding their teeth. All the dentists in the room are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it, right? That's anger. They are so mad at Stephen right now. And I think the only thing holding them back at this point is that it was illegal for them to put people to death. So they legally were not allowed to put people to death. So you can just, they're just seething with rage. And then what happens? <laughs> Stephen just keeps going. This guy is so bold. Verse 55. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And in, this is so beautiful. And also he's provoking them. He says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They knew that the son of man was a reference to Jesus, the one they had just put to death a few weeks earlier. And now Stephen is saying the one you condemned as a criminal and a false prophet, he's at God's right hand on the throne. And they are like, no. Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They don't even care that it's illegal to kill him. They're done. They are so angry. And verse 58, when they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Do you feel the emotion in this story? They are so angry. They don't even care that it's illegal to kill him. He, they're going to kill him. He's done. It's over for Stephen, right? He finishes his life boldly witnessing for Jesus. And so what am I saying? What are we seeing in this? Really, just simply this. What we're seeing in Stephen is a fulfillment of what we've seen in the Bible. And it's this simple truth that Christ-like living will sometimes lead to Christ-like dying, but it will always lead to Christ-like suffering. <clears throat> right? Paul, later in the book of Acts, will say it's through many trials and tribulations that we enter God's kingdom. And what did Jesus say? If they hated me, what? They will hate you also. Right? This is something we see in the New Testament. We see this all through the history of the church and we see it in our world today as we did a few minutes ago. This kind of thing. This is the reality of living as God's people, as the witnessing community, as lights in a dark world. And so as we study this passage, it becomes very clear that God uses opposition to cause the church to grow. I remember last month when Stephen Kelly was here uh, our brother who was born and raised Muslim and came to Christ and he's Egyptian and he spent the last several decades um, leading uh, people to Christ, especially in the Arab world and the Middle East. Um, do you remember he said at one point, he said that the church in Egypt is praying that we in America will experience persecution. And I found that really interesting and also like, oh, please don't pray that. <laughs> right? Because none of us want to go through stuff like this. But why are they praying that? Not because they don't love us and they're mean. No, they love us. They understand this truth that we see here in this passage and we'll continue to see in the book of Acts that persecution has a purifying effect on the church. Right? Because if you're following Jesus and you know it will cost you everything, that means you really do want to follow Jesus. Right? It's not, when it's not convenient to be a Christian, right, that, that's when the church is more pure. And so that's something that we see all throughout church history. 
right? And so as you and I walk with Jesus and seek to live faithfully as witnesses for him um, in a country and in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to Jesus and to his truth and to his word, um, we must be ready for and expect opposition. Now, it probably won't look like what we see with Stephen. It probably won't look like what we saw on that picture from that beach in Libya. But there is and will be opposition nonetheless. And it's interesting, you know, as we talk about being a witnessing community, do you know um, the New Testament Greek word for witness in the Bible? It's the word martus. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the word martyr. So the word witness in scripture is literally the word martyr. So the witnessing community, right? That's who we are as a church. That's who we are as the church corporately. And inherent in that is this idea that our lives do not belong to us. They belong to him. And we entrust ourselves to him, right? And some will give their lives as martyrs. Most won't, but some will. But are we prepared for whatever opposition may come? Whatever that looks like. And I don't say that in some weird, you know, let's get ready and get our guns and hide away. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we live in a world with an active spiritual realm and there are forces in the spiritual realm that are very, very opposed to God and to his kingdom uh, and to us because we are his people. That's just the reality that the Bible tells us about. So are we ready for opposition? Are we ready to follow Jesus when and if it costs something? Right? I think that's a, a, a question that Luke wants us to ask ourselves as we read about Stephen. Okay, so let's finish up the passage here and we'll, we'll begin to close. How did Stephen respond uh, to those who were murdering him? He responded in the same way that Jesus did. Remember, what did Jesus say from the cross to those who were murdering him when he prayed to the Father? Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, look what Luke tells us in verses 59 and 60 about Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the New Testament way of saying he died. Right? And I'm not gonna get into it, but stoning was a horrible way to die. Horrible. And yet Stephen's final words are, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Isn't that amazing? He prayed for forgiveness for his murderers. Uh, that's just incredible. It's so compelling. Speaking of the compelling community, right? What does the world think when they see this? That kind of forgiveness and other-centered love and selflessness. Well, I wanna show you a very powerful real-life example of this. Um, I'm gonna show you here, it's a four and a half. I've never done this before, but uh, this was Dustin's idea, so I can, I can do this. It's a video clip. We're gonna watch a video in church. Um, it's a four and a half minute video, and it's from an Arabic language news broadcast. So the audio is in Arabic. Uh, the subtitles are in English. And the host of this talk show is on the phone with a man who is the brother of two of those guys that were murdered on the beach that day. And he's talking to them and asking them questions um, about the different aspects of what happened. It's really powerful. Um, I don't actually know if the host of the show is even a Christian, but you can see he's moved to tears a few times um, during, during this little interview that he does here. 
And the brother talks about how um, ISIS did not edit out the audio. So when ISIS recorded the video of the beheadings, uh, they left the audio intact. And all 21 of the guys cried out the name of Jesus right before they were killed, um, declaring their faith in Jesus. And the brother says, I'm so glad they didn't edit that out because now the world can basically see they stood for their faith in Jesus. So it's really powerful. So we'll watch that and then we'll finish up. So guys, if you could play that.
قالت صراحه صراحه يعني مش كلام مزيف ولا كلام اما بقول لك عشان صوته مسموع ولا حاجه قالت لي انا اقول له اتفضل يا اللي دخلتنا الملكوت ايه الجمال ده صدقني بالامانه كلام مش 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 اما بقول لك انا ده كلام من على لسان امي مصدق يا حبيبي مصدق ويعني مره من غير تعليم مره 60 60 سنه اما اقول لها ايه رايك لو داعش ده معدي في الشارع اه اللي هم اشخاص داعش دي معديين في الشارع وقلت لي تمام يوم اللي ذبح اولادي قلت اقول له ربنا ينور عينك يا ابني اتفضل يا رب تعالى اللي دخلتنا الملكوت طيب يا حبيبي بالروح الحلوه دي ممكن تطلب لنا طلبه من ربنا تصلي لاجلهم دلوقتي وانت على الهوا كده يا رب اجعل دول ليهم نور لعينيهم يدخل يتنجوا منه عظيم يا حبيبي ويسيبهم من الجهل اللي هم عايشين فيه وعلى التعليم الغلط امين يا حبيبي امين بلغ تعازينا يا حبيبي الماما ولاخواتك وللاسره ولجيرانك المنكوبين زينا كلنا شكرا يا بشير شكرا يا حبيبي شكرا that wild that's just incredible uh, these are christians living out the, the commands of jesus the commands of scripture amazing and that is a real life example of what it looks like when a believer is full of the holy spirit because apart from the holy spirit nobody could do that nobody could ever do that And so this, my friends, just ultimately as we close, points us to the gospel, right? Ultimately, all these things, above all of these things, is that Jesus suffered for us on the cross, rejected and despised by his own people, the ones he came to save, God's deliverer, rejected by his people. But yet he forgave them and he forgave us. And in the end, his suffering, his death and his resurrection has brought about our salvation. This is the gospel that Jesus has suffered for you and for me. And through his death and resurrection and faith in him, we can be reconciled and forgiven by God. This is the gospel that work empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to remember that as you go your way today. And who knows? Perhaps one day, uh, some of those guys on the beach uh, in black jumpsuits there, the ISIS members, maybe will get saved. Maybe some of them already have. Um, after all, I love this in the Bible. It's not unheard of for religious terrorists to come to Jesus. Because if you know your Bible, if you keep reading the very next chapter and the chapter after that, You see just that. Because in the story of Stephen, who was standing there leading the execution and approving of the action? Saul. Yep, Saul. The same guy who then, right after the verses we read in, in the beginning of verse eight, launches a vicious persecution against the church. And he's the same guy that Jesus saved in Acts chapter nine in response to Stephen's prayer Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I have to believe, I have to believe that Saul standing there heard Stephen pray that and that that prayer was ringing in his ears and haunted him. I have to believe that. And Saul, as you know, shortly after this, um, has a name change and a career change. 
And, uh, and he goes from being the church's worst persecutor to the greatest missionary she's ever had. And we still study and read his writings as given by the Holy Spirit today. So all of that to say, my friends, as you live on mission in this world, remember this. You never know who's listening when the stones are flying at you. Keep that in mind. And that's God's invitation for each one of us, I think, to keep living on mission as his witnessing community, uh, no matter the consequences. So with that in mind, please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you, God, for the scriptures that give us, uh, Lord, revelation and knowledge of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died, God, upon the cross, suffering and dying unjustly for each one of us, God, bearing our sin. And that, Lord, you rose from the dead and you've offered us your forgiveness and salvation, Lord, if we just trust in you. So, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't trusted in you, Lord, may today be their day. Pray as a church for that to happen. And Father, as we think of um, people going through difficulty and difficult times, as we've just been looking in this passage, we also think of those in our church who are enduring and facing difficulty right now. And so Father, we pray, uh, Lord, as a church for Corrine Jennings, for Paula McCauley, Dick Card, Kristen Tours, Colleen Eccleston, Sean McCoy, Paul Deller, and Phoebe Allstad. Father, we ask that your presence would be with them, that they would sense your nearness to them. And Father, where it's your will that you would heal, Lord, and bring physical healing. Lord Jesus, we pray for another church in the Rogue Valley here uh, in Southern Oregon, Lord Ashland Christian Fellowship. We ask, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit, God, would just bless that body of believers, fill them, indwell them, bless their pastors and elders, deacons, staff, and all the people at that church. And may they continue to be a light in that community. And finally, Father, we pray um, again for missions this month. And for this week, we pray uh, for just continued fruit and blessing upon those families in Mexico that we as a church were able to serve. Uh, we pray, Father, for um, the, the preschool in Malawi and for the church in Malawi and the church in Mexico to be blessed and built up. And that, Holy Spirit, you would empower them, Lord, to live on mission no matter what comes their way. And so, Father, all these things, God, we just thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gospel. And Father, for the glory of and in the name of your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.